0: Forty days ago, January the 11th, we stood across the street over here Bob White Boulevard. A lot of you joined me. We watched the building go up in flames. Actually, we watched it go down in flames, it seemed like to me. We gathered together that same night across the street here in this used car dealership. About 300 plus gathered together, and we worshiped a faithful God. And we've walked through this journey the last 240-some days. And guess what I found, Brother Gene Turpin? Every single day of those 240 days, God has been faithful. (laughs) Hallelujah. And there's been some highs and lows and some ups and some downs and some frustrations and some concerns and some worries. I told you a couple Sundays ago, me and Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Tony, we just stood across the street in the funeral home parking lot the first three or four days and just stared at the building. ATF was there, and we'd show up about office time, 9 o'clock, stand there, and we'd watch and leave for lunch, come back and watch. After about the third day, I said, this is stupid. Why are we doing this for? We can sit home. And we just watched, and we looked, and we observed. But I'm telling you, God's been faithful. i tell you why He's been faithful, because He's got faithful people. And though the building went up in flames, the church has remained strong. We've been through the fire. You know what we can say? We can say amen. And we have been for 100 years. We've been Pulaski Church of God strong. And we'll continue to be Pulaski Church of God strong. And guess what? We rejoiced. We've risen. And very soon we are going to rebuild. And God's going to get the praise, and God's going to get the glory for it. Somebody say amen one more time. Would you say that? Now praise the Lord today. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 23, please turn with me in your Bibles today. So appreciate our worship ministry this morning. Pastor Tony and this praise team and these musicians and singers taking us into the presence of the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 23. If you have a Bible or electronic device, or you can follow along on the screen that's behind me, I'm going to pick up in verse 8. I'll read through verse 10. Here's what the Bible says These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb-Besheba, the Takmonite, chief among the captains, he was called Adonai, the Esnite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. Boy, I was reading this this week. I'm glad I don't pick these kind of texts every Sunday. The names have killed me this week. Verse 9. <laughs> and after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ohoite. Aren't you glad you didn't have kids in the Old Testament? I've met some dodos. I better not go there. I've pastored some. None here, though. One of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines, who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. Verse 10. He, speaking of Elazar, he arose and he attacked the Philistines till his hand was weary, and his hand, watch this, his hand stuck to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to plunder. The men of Israel had retreated and had gone into hiding. But there was one Eleazar who rose up and he attacked the Philistines until his hand grew weary and it stuck. Literally. Theologians will tell you and commentators will tell you that the muscles in his hands and in his fingers were in a state of just being cramped because he held on to the sword so long to get victory. And he never let go. And I want to take a few moments today and I want to preach on this thought. Hang on or hold on to the sword. Hold on to the sword. Let's pray. I'll let you be seated. Father, thank you for the word today. Thank you for worship this morning. Thank you for the witness of the Holy Spirit today, and thank you for the work that's happening in our hearts and lives in these moments. And God, today as I open up this treasure chest we call the Word of God, and I present to these people this Word you've laid on my heart, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive. When we gather in these altars in a few moments, I pray, oh God that we will leave here changed by your presence. We love you today. We bless you. We thank you for what you're going to do. And in Jesus' name, I don't want you to say this word lightly. I'm going to bring you back to it in a moment. And in Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated today. Pastor Tony, thank you for your help. Several years ago, I was preparing to walk in and preach service on a Sunday morning. And I heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit. He said to me that when you stand up today in front of those people, I want you to tell them that regardless of what they're facing and in spite of what they're going through, tell them to never give up. That thought has been ringing and resonating in my spirit these last few days. A young father in Florida summed up the feelings of people just before they give up in a suicide note that he penned, just before he jumped off of a bridge. He wrote this note and he said, I stand at the brink of eternity at last as reckless of the future as I've been of the past. Void of ambition and dead of every hope, the toils of life are ending. I'm letting go of the rope. Those were the words of a man who had quit. Those were the words of a man who had given up. On March the 4th, 1993, one of college basketball's great coaches by the name of Jim Valvano, stood on a stage and received the inaugural Arthur Ashe Humanitarian and Courage Award. It was given to him at an event that ESPN had started called the ESPY Awards. Nine months prior to receiving that award, Jim Valvano had been diagnosed with a very aggressive and deadly form of cancer. He stood on the stage that night, obviously in a very weakened condition. At this point, the cancer had spread all throughout his body. There were tumors in various parts of his body. And he stood there that night, and he gave a speech He gave a speech to that massive audience that was there that evening. And as he stood and spoke to that crowd in a condition that most of us probably would not have been able to even get up and talk, he gave a very energetic and inspiring speech. By the end of that speech, he had brought the entire building to their feet in applause. And in that speech, he talked about several things that really mattered to him. He talked about three things that he did every single day to make it through life, and he said, "You have to, you have to laugh." He says, "You have to think." And you have to allow your emotions to be moved to tears in a happy and in a joyful way. He continued on in that speech and he talked about three things that were really important in life. He said, number one, that is where you started. Number two, where you are. Number three, where you are going. He talked about cancer. He talked about the fact that cancer can take away, he said, all my physical abilities. He said, but it cannot touch my heart, it cannot touch my mind, and it cannot touch my soul. He continued on, and in that speech, he gave gratitude and thanks to ESPN, who had started in his honor the Jimmy V Foundation. It was a foundation that would focus on cancer research, finding a cure for cancer. And to date, you can go to that website, the Jimmy V. Foundation. Millions and millions of dollars have been given to that foundation to help find a cure for that dreaded disease that it seems like people everywhere just seem to get on a regular basis. The motto of the Jimmy V. Foundation is a phrase that he had used just a few days earlier when he stood in the Reynolds Coliseum in Raleigh, North Carolina, the home of his beloved NC State Wolfpack that he had coached from 1980 until 1990. He was there that evening to commemorate the 10-year anniversary of the national championship that he had led his team to. And in that speech that night that he gave to that packed arena just before a ball game had started... He talked about his condition. He talked about his sickness. He talked about where he was. And in his mind, he knew that unless something miraculous happened, that he was not going to survive. And he said something that night, and it just, I was reminded of it this week, and it has become the motto of the Jimmy V Foundation that is still in existence today. And here's what he told that packed arena that night. He said, no matter what happens in life, he said, don't. You give up. Don't ever give up. And if you'll permit me this morning, that's the vein, and that's the avenue that I want to travel down today and preach for just a few moments. This message today is for every single one of you who are trusting and believing God for something. This message is for every single one of you that are holding on to a promise that's been given to you by God for a brighter and a better tomorrow. This message is for every single one of you that are in the midst of a battle and you're trusting God for victory. There is a man in the Scripture who exemplifies and portrays to us this never say die, never give up, never quit kind of mentality and attitude that Jimmy V. preached so often. Don't give up, don't you ever give up. There were some mighty men that King David was surrounded by throughout his reign as king. Some men that should be listed in some kind of biblical hall of fame if they had one. These were men of men. These were strong men. They, they absolutely identified with the title that they had, mighty men. There was one man, Joseph Bathsheba, who killed 800 men at one time that's a mighty man. There was another man by the name of Shama, who stood in the middle of a pea patch and defended his harvest and fought for his future. There was another man named Beniah. We've been studying about him in our staff meetings on Wednesday. The Bible tells us that he killed two lion-like heroes. The Bible said that he went down into a pit on a snowy day with a lion. And you would expect, and maybe some common sense would tell you, that the only person coming out of that snowy pit was the lion, but only one person came out of that pit, and that was Beniah. The Bible also tells us that he killed an Egyptian giant by wrestling out of that Egyptian giant's hand that giant's spear. He takes the spear from the giant's hand and he kills the giant with his very own weapon. I'd say that's a pretty mighty man. But then there was one, Eleazar, whose name literally means that God has helped me. And the Bible tells us that when all of the men in Israel's army had retreated, they had tucked tail. They had run. They had fled to the rocks to hide from their arch rival, the Philistines. It says that Elazar arose and he attacked the Philistines until his hand grew weary and it stuck to the sword. Elazar was special. When everyone else ran, he fought. And in the midst of weariness, he won. I wondered this week as I prepared this, what if Elazar had quit just before he won the victory? You know, there is such a thing as quitting too soon. What would have happened had he just let go of the sword or let the Philistines get the upper hand? And see, oftentimes I have found that we quit when we're right on the verge of victory. God, I feel him today in here. We quit when we are on the brink of a breakthrough. But because we don't feel it or sense it, and we say to ourselves that victory will never come, we let go of the sword way too soon. I want you to consider with me the following just for a moment. What if Moses had quit every time that Pharaoh changed his mind? What if Noah had quit building the ark right in the middle of the process? What if David had quit just before he loaded that slingshot with that smooth stone that he would put in the head of that giant? What if those 120 who had gathered in the upper room that day to tarry and to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit? It'd be a 10-day process if you study Scripture out. Jesus left on the 40th day after his resurrection. Pentecost came on the 50th day, so there was a 10-day period. They gathered together and they prayed and they tarried and they waited for the outpouring of the Spirit. What if they had quit praying on the ninth day and left the upper room? And what if Jesus, carrying that crossbeam on His opened back that had been laid bare with a cat of nine tails in the midst of Pilate's courtyard, And what if as he carried that crossbeam down the Via Della Rosa, destination Calvary. God, I feel the Holy Ghost in here today. I feel one of those preacher's anointings. What time is it? I didn't get to preach last week, so I need a little bit extra time this week, if you'll grant me a few more minutes. And what if as he buckled under the weight of that crossbeam, and his knees Collapsed down to the ground. What if he had quit and not carried it the rest of the way to Calvary? All of us would be in a heap of trouble today. And what if Abraham Lincoln, after losing seven elections, suffering a nervous breakdown, and burying his wife, what if he had quit and never run for the presidency? That Emancipation Proclamation may have never been signed when it was, and slavery would have continued on. And what if Michael Jordan, after getting cut off the junior varsity basketball team, what if he had decided he'd never go out and play basketball again? And what if Albert Einstein, after hearing his teacher say in one of his classes as a young boy, you're not very smart, and you're not very intelligent, and you probably won't amount to anything, What if they had quit? It's my opinion that one of the saddest places in all of the world to walk through is a cemetery. Now, you'll say, well, obviously, Pastor, I mean, it speaks of death. There's people there that we love that are never coming back. It's not not so much because of that. It's not sad because of necessarily who's buried there, but what is buried there. Now I've preached a lot of funerals in 20 years of ministry. I've been in a lot of gravesides in 20 years of ministry. We've had several here the last few months. When I walk through a cemetery, as I'm either on the way to the service or coming back, I just will casually stroll through on my way back to the vehicle. And I always have thought it was interesting to find those tombstones and have people that are there that, that were triple digits when they died. You can find some every now and I Just for some reason, I thought that was interesting. But I've often wondered. I wonder what's really buried there. Not so much the body or the person or the name, but what's buried there. Do you realize that in cemeteries across this world, that buried in those graves are dreams that never came to pass. Visions that were never fulfilled. Inventions that were never made. Books that were never written. Speeches that were never given. And sermons that were never preached. You know why? Because people quit too soon. They died. And when they were carted to their grave and a hearse brought that box to that plot, and they put it in a vault, and they pushed dirt over it, I would venture to say that there was untapped and unreached and unfulfilled potential that's buried in cemeteries across this world, and some of that is simply because they quit too soon, and they died on the verge of fulfilling what was in their heart to do. When I look at Elazar today, he speaks to me about not quitting too soon. He speaks to me about not giving up. He speaks to me about persistence. He, he speaks to me about perseverance, Pastor Jeremy. Because there will come a time in our life that we'll have to hang on to the sword And in the midst of being weary and worn out and worked to the bone... We're going to have to hang on to the sword and just fight one more time. We're going to have to hang on to the sword and just pray one more prayer. We're going to have to hang on to the sword and just fast one more meal. We're going to have to hang on to the sword and just give God one more hallelujah and one more thank you, Jesus, and one more praise the Lord and batten down the hatches and dig our heels in and say, God, I may not see it, and I may not feel it, and I don't really know what's going to happen happen, but I'm trusting you that if I'll hang on, that victory is going to come, and God sends your pastor by this place today to tell somebody, whatever you do, don't let go of the sword. Hang on. God will come through. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody praise the Lord today. You better help me preach. I'll just keep you all day long. Which, by the way, tonight at 6 o'clock, this is a good place to get this in. We're having a district service at the Fort Giswold Church of God. You don't want to miss it. Our, our, our team's doing worship. Roy Lee Tucker's going to be preaching. I want every one of you that can to be there. So I won't keep you too long. We've got to be on time at church tonight. Let me take two things. And there's so much, there's so much in this couple of verses about Elazar. but there's just two things I want to lift today, lift out of here and give to you. Number one. Is that when everybody else runs? There'll come a time you'll have to rise up and you'll have to fight. In spite of fear, you'll have to fight. In spite of a financial situation, you'll have to fight. In spite of an uncertain future, you'll have to fight. In spite of weariness, You'll have to fight. Here's what some people say. If I just knew how this thing would play out, if I just knew what the end result would be, it'd be much easier just to hang on to the sword and fight. If I could just, if I could just get to the, the canvas that has the final scene painted on it, then I'd be a, a lot more confident... And hanging on to the sword and fighting. But see, if you always know the end result of the fight and the journey in life, then we really have no need for this thing we call faith. And you don't have to know the end result. But here's what you do need to do. You just have to anchor yourself to the one who is the beginning And the end. You just have to anchor yourself to the one who is the first and the last. You just have to anchor yourself to the one who is the Alpha and the Omega and sometimes you just got to grab hold of the sword and you have to fight. You fight in your prayer closet. You fight with the Word. You fight in those moments of private worship and you come together in this public corporate setting of worship and you fight. You fight when you don't feel like it. You fight when you're worn down. You fight when you're broken down. You Fight when they're slinging criticism. You fight when they're slandering you. You fight when the checkbook says zero. You fight when there's conflict all around, my Blessed God, whatever you do, pick up the sword, hang on, and don't give up. You just gotta fight even when you don't feel like it. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in here today. Somebody say fight. You just gotta fight. And listen, it's not, it's not a physical fight you're involved in. We're in a spiritual battle unlike anything we've been in in a very long time. It's the Apostle Paul who wrote in Ephesians 6 and 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have to fight a spiritual battle with spiritual tools and spiritual weaponry. Got to fight. Everybody else retreated that day. When all of Israel ran, Eleazar just stood up and he grabbed his sword. I wish I had a sword. Should have found me a little plastic one somewhere. And he just held on to the sword and he fought. Now you know what fear is going to tell you, don't you? You know what fear is going to say? Fear is going to say, Run. Fear is going to say, tuck your tail between your legs and go hide in a corner somewhere and run. And I have no doubt in my mind that Eleazar that day had a flood tide of emotions that went through him. And there's no doubt in my mind that as mighty of a man as he was, that he felt fear. But what did he do? He arose, and he attacked the Philistines until his hand grew weary, and it stuck to the sword. I'm reminded of the transition of leadership that happened in the book of Joshua. When Moses was, had passed off the scene and was dead and gone, 120 years old he lived to, God had taken him to the top of Mount Nebo and preached his eulogy and buried him right there. Can you imagine God preaching your funeral? Read it in Deuteronomy 34. It's there. And the reins of leadership were passed over to Joshua. And Joshua, for many years, had been the apprentice. He had been in the shadow of Moses just kind of watching how the wise man did business and how he handled Pharaoh and how he led the children of Israel out. He had been there. But it's one thing to watch and it's another thing to be in charge of what you've been watching be handled by somebody else. <clears throat> and God had to come down to Joshua, not once, not twice, but three times, and tell him, don't be afraid. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. He said, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Verse 7. He said, be strong and very courageous. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Sounds to me like God's just trying to remind him, listen here, hardhead. I'm trying to get something through your thick skull. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Listen, there's afraid and then there's dismayed. I I, I think that dismayed, afraid is bad, but dismayed is kind of like a level up. I'm afraid, but then I'm dismayed. He said, don't, 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 don't be the one of those. Don't be afraid or dismayed. Watch this now. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And there was something about that word that God spoke to him that allowed him to go stand in front of 2 million plus people, Pastor Tony, and say, let's go. We're getting ready to go up somewhere we've never been before. We've never crossed this way before. We're going to a Jordan River at flood stage. I'm not sure how it's all going to pan out. All I know is that God told me to go put my feet in the Jordan, and when I do, he's going to take care of it. And Joshua leads 2 million plus people across the Jordan River. God dries up those waters and dries up that riverbed. They walk across and begin to possess the promised land that God had said was theirs 400 years old earlier. You talk about hanging on to the sword and you talk about holding on. Joshua held on to the promise of God. He held on to the word of God. He held on to the sword and when situations and circumstances contradicted what he had heard, he just held on and he kept stepping and he kept walking and he kept moving and God came through. Listen, there's times you're just going to have to rise up, grab your sword, hold on and Fight with everything that's within you. The Bible tells a story in Luke 18. Jesus tells a parable. Here's what he said. He said that Jesus spoke a parable in order to show the disciples how they should pray and not lose heart. He said there was this unjust judge that lived in the land. He said the judge had no fear of God and no regard for man and said that in that land, in that little city, there was this widow lady who came to that judge and said to him one day, get justice for me from my adversary. And the parable goes on that, to, to say that for a while the judge would not get justice for her. But then he said this, He says, though I have no fear of God and I have no regard for man, he said, because this woman troubles me. That's the New King James. You know what the the modern day translation according to Pastor Gore would say? Because this woman is plucking my nerves. Because she is wearing me out and I'm so sick of her bugging me every single Because if you read the parable now, she came and said get justice for me from my adversary. And the judge said no. And she came back the next day get justice for me from my adversary and the judge said no. And this went on and on until finally he said she's about to wear me down. I can't take it anymore. And he said though I have no fear of God and I don't regard man because she troubles me. And And unless, watch what he said, unless she weary me with her continual coming, I'm going to get justice for her from her adversary. And Jesus says this. He says, hear what the unjust judge is really saying. He says, will not God avenge his elect? Who cry out to him day and night, though he bears long with them. Watch what he says. He says, he will avenge them speedily. You know what it's a lesson in? It's a lesson in persistence. It's a lesson in perseverance. It's a lesson where Jesus says sometimes you have to keep asking, you have to keep seeking, and you have to keep knocking. And when you go the first time and it doesn't work out, you just keep going back. And when you go the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth time and it doesn't work out, you just keep going back. And when you go to your prayer closet and you keep praying and God's not saying anything, Aunt B, you just keep going back. And when you fall on your face before God and you're fasting and you're seeking Him and nothing's happening, you just keep going back over and over and over again. Essentially what you're doing is you're hanging on to the The sword, you're rising up and you're fighting, and eventually I'm telling you, your persistence and your perseverance will move the hand of God in your life, and He will work, and He will fulfill His Word. Number two. When everybody else runs, you gotta rise up and fight. And number two, when you begin to grow weary, just remember. That God's promise will come to pass. That's for somebody. When you grow weary, you just remember that God's promise will come to pass. And here's what you have to know today. I promise you that on this journey called life, you're going to grow weary. I promise you I'm going to come down here and preach a little bit. that on this Christian walk that you're going to grow weary. You're going to get tired. You're going to get worn down. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get fatigued. And there's going to be many a days that you're going to consider throwing the towel in and quitting. There's going to be days that you're going to find yourself hanging on to the sword and you're going to say it's not worth it. You're going to want to let go of the sword. But I'm telling somebody today, That when you find yourself growing weary, I want you to remember that God's promise will come to pass. They say, and I haven't counted them one by one, but they say that there are 3,000 promises contained in this book. And there is a promise that I believe God has given to some of you that is yet to come to pass. I found something this week as I read through this scripture. And in 2 Corinthians chapter one and verse 20, I read this from a different version of the Bible. And here's what it says: "For no matter how many promises that God has made, they are yes in Christ." And through him, through Christ, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. One person said it like this. God gives the promise. Jesus stamps the promise with a yes. And we say, amen. Watch this. So if the word declares that with his stripes that we are healed. God says, yes. Jesus stamps it, and we say, if God's word says that if we'll bring all the tithe into the storehouse, and we'll do what we're supposed to do financially, that there is an open heaven and open windows in our lives, right? So that promise of financial blessing, God says yes. Jesus stamps it with a yes, and we say amen. See, because here's what we do. We say amen so lightly. And really, God says yes, Jesus stamps it and says yes, and I say in agreement amen. And that word amen there means true, it means certain, and it means firm. So when he says yes, I say amen. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, God, I agree that your promises are true, that your promises are certain, and that your promises are firm. And he says yes, and we say, God says yes, and we say, so every promise, listen, that God has made to you. Pastor, you come help me lay in this, please. Every promise that God's made to you, if it has yet to come to pass, all you have to keep saying is ye- amen to it. So you say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that my family is going to be saved because your word promises household salvation. So, God, I hear your yes, and I say Amen. God, you promised me, you promised me an open door that no man could shut. God, right now I feel like I'm walking in a hallway and it's dark and I can't seem to find the door, but you made a promise to me that you've set before me an open door. So God, you've said yes, and I just say amen to your yes. I'm telling you, I hope this changes the way that you pray when you end prayers. Because we just say it so casually in Jesus' name, amen, like it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. When we say amen, we are aligning ourselves in agreement with every single promise of God that he has made for our lives. And when he says yes, and when we say amen, we say, God, we set ourselves in alignment with this, and we believe that it's true, that it's certain, and that it's firm, And every promise that you've made to me. Yes. And I say amen. He doesn't say amen. He says yes. And the amen is spoken through us to the glory of God. And there are some of you today before you leave here. You need to remind God of some. Now now by way, he doesn't need the reminder. It helps you to remind God. It brings back to your memory the promises of God. And you need to remind God. You need to put God in mind of some of the things that he's told you. And before you walk out of this altar today, you need to just look up to God and say, God, I've heard your yes, and I just speak amen back to you and set myself in alignment with every promise you've given me. The Bible declares, and I'm closing with this that we're not to grow weary. Galatians 6 and 9, that we're not to grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, somebody say due season. For in due season, we will reap if, everybody say if, if we faint not. And let us not grow weary because verse 8 says this, don't be deceived, God's not mocked, whatever man soweth that will he also reap there's some of you, there's been some seeds that you've been sowing and you've yet to you've yet to receive your harvest. You've yet to receive your harvest. That doesn't mean that you turn your back on the harvest field and walk away and say it's never going to come. It simply means that you hang on to the soil one more day and trust God for the harvest. Because there's a specific time. Due season. Let me say due season. Due season. There's a specific time that God has ordained for your life to receive that seasonal harvest a specific time and you say pastor it seems so far off it just seems like it's never going to happen it's never going to come to pass listen don't grow weary and well doing because there's a due season there's a specific time you will reap there's a seasonal harvest there will come a time if you'll hang on to the sword that that harvest is coming there's a due season a due season that we'll reap if we faint not. You know what that says to me? That speaks to me of a steady hand. Come on. Amen. There's a specific time, there's a seasonal harvest, but there has to be a steady hand in this thing. You can't let the highs get you too high and the lows get you too low. You've got to find a balance somewhere in this thing. And if you'll keep your hands steady and if you'll hang on to the sword, I promise you, there is a seasonal harvest that's coming at the time that God has ordained. I don't know who I'm preaching to today. And quitting is not an option. You know why? Because there are people that are depending upon you to fight. You know what the Bible says here at the the last part of the story with Eleazar? You know what it says? It says that after they had retreated and he rose up and fight that that all the men returned after him to plunder. They shared in the spoils of victory. I don't know if you saw that when I read that. Every man returned after him to plunder. That means that had Eleazar quit, Brother Turpin, it wouldn't have just been... Him that had suffered, but there have been all kinds of people that had suffered if he had stopped. I'm telling you that if you quit too soon, there's people that are depending upon you to fight. There are people that are depending upon you to fight. There's people that need you to stay in the battle. There's people that need you to hang on to the sword. You can't quit. Because when you quit, there's people, listen, there's some kids in your house that are depending upon you to keep fighting. There's a husband, there's a wife that's depending upon you to, to keep fighting. Quitting, quitting can't be an option. You got to fight and there's times that you just have to hang on. you just got to hang on to the edge of the sword. You got to hang on, your hand has to cling to the sword you got to just you just got to hold on. There's two things I want to leave with you and we're going to stand. I heard this advice some time ago, and I've just applied it to my own life, that the greatest test of your character will be seen in the thing that it takes to make you quit. The greatest test of your character will be seen in the thing that it takes to make you quit. Listen, what you're involved in right now, it's not just a fight, but it's a a test of your character. And the easy thing, it's always easier to run than it is to rise up and fight. It's always easy to run than to rise up and fight. It's always easy to let go of the sword and just give up and give in. It's much easier. But I've been saying this for some time that the easy thing isn't always the right thing. And the right thing isn't always easy. And here's the second thing. I've tried to live my life by this since I've I heard it some time ago. You'll be impressive for how you start, but you'll be remembered for how you finish. You'll be impressive for how you start, but you'll be remembered for how you finish. And Eleazar, when he rose up and grabbed that sword, that was pretty impressive. But had he let go of that sword and quit that day, he probably would have never made it into the scripture. But I'll tell you why he made it in because he finished right. He held on to the sword when everybody else ran and everybody else quit, he held on to the sword. And I'm admonishing somebody today, and I'm encouraging somebody today, and I'm speaking, I believe, under the unction of the Holy Spirit today to somebody. Whatever you do today, whatever decisions you make these next few weeks or months, whatever you do, don't you quit. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Hang on to the sword. I want you to stand with me today, please. just to raise up your hands right where you are today and I want you just to want you to speak this little four letter word somebody say amen Amen. say it again say amen Amen. you know what you're doing today? There's, there's a lot of four letter words in the world today that's a four letter word right there amen I don't know today who's in here? I just feel like I need to ask this who's in here today? And you're waiting on a promise of God to come to pass in your life. God, just see your hand. Come on, raise them up. Raise them up. Raise them up. Raise them up. Keep those hands up. You ready? Somebody say amen. Say it again. Say amen. Because God's already said yes. He's already said yes. He's waiting on you to say amen. I don't know what your promise is today. I don't know what you're waiting for today. I don't know what you're holding on to and hoping for today. But I'm telling you, God's Word has said yes. Now we just have to say amen to it. There's some weary folks in here today. I sense strongly by the unction of the Spirit of God that some of you came in here today and you pondered just quitting and throwing the towel in and giving up. That looks different for different people. But some of you considered, you've considered recently, it's not worth it. It's not worth the fight. It's not worth the struggle. It's not worth the heartache. I see nothing changing. Nothing's getting different. It's, just, it's always the same. It's like I'm beating my head against the wall. And the Lord sent your pastor by today to tell you, hold on to the sword and don't give up. Don't you ever give up. There is a specific time. There is a seasonal harvest. You just got to have a steady hand. And I promise you, God's going to honor his word. Come on, let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for the word today. God, I don't know who you're helping today. I don't know who you're encouraging today. I don't know who needed this today. But God, I, I sense the witness of the Holy Spirit in here right now. I sense the witness of the Holy Ghost in here right now. You're touching somebody. You're encouraging somebody, God. You're giving somebody the strength just to take one more step and fight one more round, God. We just say amen today to your promise. We say amen to your word today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're in this place and this word today is for you, and you're waiting on a promise. You're weary today, and you're ready to throw the towel in and give up. Now listen, I don't. I need us to have some prayer time. And then I don't. I, I need you to hang around for just a minute. I need to talk to you about something. But you're waiting on a promise. You're weary today from waiting, and you feel like you would rather just let go of the sword and give up. But you know you can't because there's too much at stake. I want you to get out of your chair right now. And just come stand at this altar as soon as you can. Come as quick as you can. Come. Come, the Lord's speaking to you today. Come, come on. Fast as you can, come. You're waiting on a promise from God. I want you to come. You're weary today. I want you to come as fast as you can. Don't wait on anybody beside you. Listen, I just want you to come as fast as you can. Fast as you can, come. If you're on this stage, that's fine. Come. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Ooh, some of you have felt like there's been a door shut so tight, you're going to see. Listen, God knows you just need to see a little sliver. You need to, see, need to see a little sliver of light come through the door. The Holy Ghost told me to tell you, he's going to let you see some of the door today so you can hang on and just keep fighting a little bit longer and a little bit harder. Anybody else? Come on, the Lord's speaking to you. Come you're waiting on a promise from God I want you to come you feel weary today and worn out I want you to come there's a touch of the Holy Spirit here today he's present he's present anybody else I'm telling somebody today listen to me quitting is not an option it's easy it's easy It'd be the easiest thing you've ever done, but it'll be the worst decision. Oh, I feel the I feel a prophetic anointing on me right here. Quitting is an easy option. It'll be the easiest thing you've ever done, but it'll be the worst decision you've ever made in your life because the trickle down is far greater than anything you could imagine or realize. And I'm telling you today, hang on and hold on to the sword just a little bit longer. God's Word is coming to pass. He's already said yes, and you say...